Welcome to the Martial Arts Lifestyle Podcast, where we talk with martial arts practitioners about their histories and the influence that their practice of martial arts has on their lives. You are listening to the free version of this podcast, which is abbreviated. Help support this program by considering to subscribe to us on Patreon, where you will get four full-length podcasts each month one week before the YouTube release date. The cost is that of about one coffee shop coffee per month. Go to www.patreon.com slash malmag to subscribe. That is www.patreon.com slash M-A-L-M-A-G. If you would like to purchase single full-length episodes of the Martial Arts Lifestyle Podcast, visit our Gumroad page at malmag.gumroad.com and that is M-A-L-M-A-G dot G-U-M-R-O-A-D dot com. This week I talk with Brandon Ryan, a martial artist I've known for quite a while, about his amazing adaptive martial arts program. Sit back and enjoy. Okay, welcome to the Martial Arts Lifestyle Podcast. Today I've got a, a very exciting guest. He's someone I've known for a little while. He's out of Omaha, Nebraska area. And he's been involved in martial arts since he was a little boy. Because I remember one of the pictures he sent me was him as a very little tyke with Larry Hartzell. It was a very interesting picture. And he does some interesting work in Omaha, working with uh, people with disabilities. And um, I don't want to talk too much about him. I'd rather have him talk about himself. So, uh, Brandon, welcome to the show. This is Brandon Ryan. Thank you very much for having me. It's a big honor to be talking with you. All right. Well, I certainly appreciate you coming on. I've, I've known you for, I don't know how many years now, and um, you're a person who I'm always excited to see what you're doing uh, because you're always doing just, you know, some really interesting stuff. Your, your whole thing is called adaptive martial arts and you're doing a lot of um, adaptive stuff. And it's always great to see your creativity and, and the things you're doing. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself, like what you're currently up to, and then we'll kind of go backwards a little bit. Um, what I'm currently up to now, uh, we just got done teaching another adaptive uh, self-defense self-defense clinic here in Omaha. Um, and we basically had a woman that she has a, a weird uh, disorder where her, her bones come out of uh, – come out of shape or, or socket if she moves a certain direction. So oh, wow. mainly in her, in her hips. And so tr- trying to adapt uh, grappling, various grappling styles to fit her body that, that, that doesn't require so much strength and man- manipulation, but more just going with the attacker's uh, energy that, 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 that they give her and reacting off that. And mm-hmm. so, Really, what that what that looks like is just a lot of like small joint manipulation. You know, training that into chokes and Greco-Roman wrestling maneuvers. Wow, that's that's great. So, do you normally do more one-on-one since each case is very different, or do you do group stuff as well? Um, I have I have taught all over Omaha. I have I have taught in every major college here in Omaha. teaching able-bodied people um i do more one-on-one private things with people that have various disabilities i've worked with people that are visually impaired uh amputee um 
deaf, autoimmune disorders, anything that of the of the, the the mainstream disabilities that you can think of, I've worked with for a certain amount of time. So that's something I tend to take a lot of pride in myself. I don't know many other martial arts instructors that have done that. So that's true. I I can't think of any either. I know there's uh, some folks that I've met out here at UCLA um, that are doing some interesting things, but the diversity of what you're doing is definitely from what I've seen, extremely unique. And it's a challenge. I mean, I, I you know, we look at any student on a personal basis because everyone learns differently mm-hmm. as a challenge um, because you do have to tailor make things, you know, to individuals, norm, you know, in any situation, but you're, dealing with people who have added uh, needs of tailoring. And I mean, it, from what, especially with this, this last example, you told me the lady you just worked with, you're talking about some very uh, wide range of things from, you know, mobility issues to um, it almost sounds like you're even saying like emotional issues. Yeah. Like I, I've worked with people that, you know, have like different mental health disorders like anxiety disorders and and like autoimmune disorders where, where their body is literally fighting against them where they or they already lack so much energy and so how, how do you apply you know what they're already basing with and give them tools that they can use against an attacker or a potential violent encounter yeah exactly that's, and, that's really it's really awesome yeah and in terms with you know, dealing people with anxiety, which is some, something that I live with too, you know, learning to, fi- learning to, to find that, that peace in the, in, the, in the midst of the chaos of what, what you're dealing with and finding that inner strength and confidence in, in yourself to come out of that situation is really powerful as well. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, uh, if you kind of got anxiety to begin with, we're talking about, you know, especially if we're talking about self-defense, if they're coming to you for something like that, there's enough anxiety in the idea of thinking that you're going to be attacked anyway. So it's a, a highly stressful thing, even in its practice. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's also learning to take that, take that, that, that already frantic feeling of panic and transforming it into power. It's hard to do, but from my experience, it can be done. It just takes a lot, a lot of time and trial and error. Absolutely. You know, I, I think you see that. Um, it is kind of interesting. I think, cause you know, I, I think we're sometimes as martial art instructors, we're expected to have this immediate magic pill, right. To, you can come and, and do a class or something. And suddenly you're now bulletproof to whatever attacker comes up to you. But, you know, even yeah. if you say elite soldiers, let's take, you know, cream of the crop, something like Navy SEALs, Marine recon, Rangers, airborne, right. sort of even their training courses aren't one. It's weeks, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I think, if I'm being honest, that that's that's the sad thing about martial arts these days and all systems of, of of training and thought is that you take these courses and then all of a sudden you become bulletproof to what whatever violence comes your way, which is not something that I promote to my students. In fact, it's quite the opposite. I tell mm-hmm. them that you're probably going to get punched a lot. You're, <laughs> yeah. you're going to get bruises and you might even bleed, but it's, it's, 
It's a fight. It's your mental mentality that gets you through that encounter. Right. You know what I mean? It's not, I, I, I know so many people, even in the jujitsu world that are like, Oh my jujitsu can handle anything at all times. Like, no, it can't. <laughs> You're not indestructible. Indeed. Well, give us a rundown of, uh, before we kind of go back to your history, give, give us a little rundown of what martial arts you're doing currently. Currently, um, in, in terms of adapting my own personal Jeet Kune Do, I do Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. That's, that's my, my main uh, training facet right now, along with a lot of Greco Roman wrestling and Judo. And uh, there's a very specific reason for that. And it's, it's your own disability, right? So you need to be more tactile. Yeah. I, I need, I need to be one that, and even Larry Hartzell would have agreed with this. I need to be able to get inside of that danger to, to find safety. Right. And th- those are, those are his own words too. So I, I think that, <laughs> I think that I'm, I'm doing what he would want. Uh, I fully agree with that. That is uh, one thing I think having known the man for the time that I did, um, which was, you know, a short time on the calendar, but a lot of hours and, and spending a lot of hours with him personally. And I, I honestly, yes, I believe he would be extremely proud of what you're doing very much. So, and yeah, yeah. I'm a hundred percent sure. And I was just kind of thinking about this yesterday, how much I, I kind of missed, uh, miss him and training with him and the way we did train. Yeah. I, I miss him. I miss him more now than ever. I, uh, I was having some whiskey the other night with my with my dad, and we were just reminiscing. And uh, something something I told him is that the the one major regret that I have in my life that I've yet to get over is not spending more time training with Larry. Yeah. For whatever reason, in in my young my young life, I decided to go train with with another instructor whom I won't, I won't mention. But you know, it's it's just the kicker of it is. Is that if I would have stayed training with Sifu Larry, I and if he was still alive, I would have been a full instructor under him, and he could have seen me accomplish it and been there, you know. But it's just one thing I'm trying trying to make peace with and let let go. But that is always kind of just ate me up. Well, I'm going to tell you one thing. I think you know for what it's worth, uh, you making peace with that is by doing what you're doing, which is paying it forward. Mm-hmm. You know, taking all that stuff and and doing the types of things that you're doing, which I mean, if you think about it, and it's it's I think it might be hard as a teacher to kind of understand as you're you know dealing with sort of one person at a time or groups of people, mm-hmm. and you don't notice because it's it's an overtime thing. Like yes. think about what Larry, how you're thinking about it now. You know, and he passed in 2007, and here we are. 15 years later right and that's when you're gonna hear from these people that you're teaching now and you'll start to understand how many lives you've affected very positively you know and you're gonna start hearing that because you're doing this amazing work and these are gonna start kind of you know trickling back to you like that uh you know that's that's where I think that peace is with that, because, you know, I think you've got a lot of important things and you're paying it forward. Yeah. I, and that's really helpful too. And I, I know another special moment is when I was talking with this 
uh, late wife, uh, Deborah, and she basically told me over an email one day that they both considered me to be their godson. Oh, that's sweet. And, and at the moment that she told me that, I was really kind of just experiencing some jadedness within like the, the JKD culture. Everybody yeah. bickering over over what's what, and <laughs> I just decided to to just train in what what I thought was most effective. And then when she wrote me those words, it was like this fire just reunited reignited in my heart, and I started trying to figure out better ways I could fuse what I learned from Sifu and while blending what I thought was appropriate too. It was very yeah. well, you know, and that that online jkd world uh which you know i've found my feet in many times and it's i think some of it is just where where my position is and people dragging me in saying hey look this person this and this person that and you know i i try to keep out of it (laughs) even though you know he's probably seen me in it go you're not keeping out of it you're pretty and it's like well yes it's when you attack people that mm-hmm. are my teachers mm-hmm. and you're saying things that are blatantly incorrect yes. i don't let an audience of two people let alone two thousand or twenty thousand or two million which none of these i know some of these clowns think they have that kind of audience so they don't. but you know um i don't even want two people to right. see that type of thing unchecked yep. and a lot of it just boils down to look do not believe things from people who are not qualified to make the statement right Absolutely. and an example is just you know i've seen people from thousands of miles away talk about oh this is what's done at the innocent Academy by people who've never been there right and i don't think you know and again i'm not wanting to toot my horn and i really don't know how to say this without it, without it sounding like that but i've been there 18 years solidly and fairly involved, I kind of know who's coming in and out those doors. And when a person who I've never seen before running your mouth about how things are going, especially right now, you know, I'm like, you don't have the qualification to say that. That's like me telling you what's going on in, I don't know, the northern part of Norway right now. So even if I had a camera on one fixed spot and I could watch what was going on that one fixed spot that doesn't really Give yeah. me a feel of what's going on there. It's not the same so, thing. Exactly. So, and that was, you know, it's one of those hard things because, um, you know, we talk about Larry. So I was there at the end. And one of the things that he asked me was, uh, he asked me three things. And one of the things was to, to stay out of the politics. <laughs> and so wow. I, as far as like saying who's better, who's right, that I do stay clear of. I just defend things that I think are blatantly yeah. wrong, you know. I feel like him telling you to stay out of the politics is him being like a, a prophet of sorts as yeah. what what's to come, you know, years down the road. Like, hey, just to warn you, stay out of this sector. Right. Well, I th- you know, I think that existed before the Internet. Uh, and I, he did find himself in it or in the middle of it and said it's not worth it. And yeah. out of it. And I think that is probably true. I mean, it's like um, what do they call those clickbait headlines? It's sort of the yep. same thing. Yeah. Want to come up and say something that's um 
inflammatory and they think it's going to draw them students. And you know what? It probably does, but it's, you know, like some of those guys that there's, what's that one fella I see every once in a while, he's like from Russia and he's doing that weird thing, like hand thing. And the early videos he's seen by himself and he looks like a weird dance. And all of a sudden now he's got students and it's like, okay. Yeah. I mean, it just shows if you do stuff that's weird and controversial or whatever, you'll get yeah. students. Is that really what you want? Uh, maybe it is. You know, if you, yeah. if you don't have much to offer, maybe you're going to do whatever to draw on students. And you know what? Uh, in the end, I'm going to say those people are looking for that and you're yeah. filling needs. So mm-hmm. it's okay in some ways, but yeah. another yeah. way, like, you know, it's probably, I don't know. I always say if your main selling point is that I'm not, this thing or this thing is wrong or all these people do this thing wrong and that's your main selling point that's your main approach it's um it's going to be short-lived let's be yep. that one yep um it's my thought so but anyway enough about that let's get back to you let's get back yeah. uh, uh let's get back to um how you got started and all this stuff yeah so i actually when i was a little boy i'd come home from school and my dad had a, had a, a garage studio where he had five or six students, some of which were in the Air Force, some were just close friends that wanted to come learn. At the time, my dad was teaching Ed Parker-style Kempo Karate, uh, which to me looked just as Jeet Kune Do-ish as anything else these days, uh, because it had a lot of quick trapping movements mm-hmm. into the clinch in judo, and my dad started uh, implementing Arnis into the picture. So this was like pre-UFC, before UFC one, UFC one even happened. Mm-hmm. My dad was already blending all these styles together. And I thought it was just amazing. And my dad would lay out this yellow exercise mat and I'd get down on the mat on my knees and try and mimic what he was teaching. So that's how I got started. And then uh, I think that the week after UFC one, we went down to, I think, Cedar Rapids, Iowa for a Larry Hartzell seminar. Wow. That brings back me. That's where I used to go for all my concerts. I, you know, I, I grew up in uh, the Quad Cities, Illinois, Iowa. So Cedar Rapids is where we would go. Yeah. Omaha is actually where I'd go at Thanksgiving a lot of times. I had a, uh, my grandmother's uh, brother. Wow. There. So I, I've been a long time since I've been there, but yeah. uh, I, holidays there. Mm, but uh, I remember, you know, being in, being in my wheelchair as a kid and, watching Sifu Larry just implement boxing into into grappling it was I was so stunned mm-hmm. uh, and the the biggest highlight of, of that first heart cell seminar was when my dad scooped me up out of my chair during a break in the seminar and Sifu heart cell was showing me a triangle choke the same thing that Hoyce Gracie used in several of his uh, UFC fights Wow. Everything just kind of culminated for me at that moment because I was like, man, if I can use my legs as a small person to choke someone, I'll be pretty okay. (laughs) Like, yeah. But um, watching Sifu Hartzell just throw people around and put them in joint locks and submissions was really cool to me. And I, I knew that I knew that that's what I wanted to be good at. So that was the start of my of my journey into the martial arts. And then I got into judo for a while, and I, my judo 
professor, his name was Sensei, uh, Do Sensei Lee or Dr. Dr. Lee. And he was probably way ahead of his time too, because he had adaptations for every single throw that ever existed. Wow. And he, in Sifu Hartzell, gave me this sense of uh, molding my mind to adapt to various needs. So that's really was my start in martial arts, was the Kempo Karate, adding in the Jeet philosophy and trapping, and then shoot and catch, and then judo as well. Wow. And I uh, just want to give a, a shout out to your dad. Your dad is Robert Ryan. Uh, yes. Who operated a school there. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the training group. Two schools. Okay. For yeah. quite a while. And he was a yeah. uh, law enforcement there, right? Yep. Military. Uh, 21 years in the military, about 10 years serving as the v in the VA police department of veteran affairs. Yeah. Very cool. And, um, uh, I didn't know he was a Kempo guy before. So that, that's a really interesting, uh, yeah factoid that I, I didn't know yep he it's funny he's I, I still watch him some days like not knowing that he's doing it but doing like ed uh, kempo style uh striking and trapping which again like in that style of kempo the pox out entry is used so much to get into everything else wow yeah and so I, I try and tell my students all the time that, that no, not one style is unique. Everybody kind of borrows off of everybody and does things in similar ways of, of the same technique or um, skill set. Right. You know, and it's, it's interesting, especially that you're using that, that trapping as an example of that. That's one of those uh, hot internet topics as we look at because in the two things you know you basically get from it people telling you trapping doesn't work mm -hmm. uh and then of course the opposite the people who are going to fight that and then you've also got this idea that trapping is only wing chun that's the only art that has it yeah and so it's like well, okay <laughs> rewind folks <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're right. what are your thoughts on those things <laughs> um well from experience and this is where my own jadedness in the in the jikundra world started uh was when i had a couple people online i don't even remember their names so that that won't really matter but they said you they never said, <laughs> right they said that, yeah they said that if i wasn't teaching trapping in the exact form that that larry or guru dan taught it that i wasn't teaching jeet Kune Do. and this probably again coming from people who didn't train with either one probably so um but just because i wasn't teaching this poxel wapsel uh tonsel concept to destroy punches uh led to people saying that I wasn't being authentic to what I was being taught or even using the, the JKD moniker. And, and so, you know, I think if professional boxers like Floyd Mayweather can use trapping in boxing, which he has, uh, there's some validity to it. Is it going to look like... And this concludes the abbreviated version of the Martial Arts Lifestyle Podcast. 
please click the like and subscribe buttons as well as the notification bell. Also consider subscribing to the full-length podcast at www.patreon.com slash malmag or purchasing individual full-length episodes at malmag.gumroad.com. Thank you for listening to this episode with Brandon Ryan. Coming up next week, we have martial artist, educator, and stand-up comedian Brian Stoops. Check out the Malmag store at www.martialartslifestylemagazine.com and click on the store tab. There, you will find a full selection of Timmy B's brand sticks for FMA and Kirby Kerbong, as well as Timmy B's and Dos Manos t-shirts. Many more products coming soon. Also click on our courses tab to purchase online courses, right now featuring the course in the Dos Manos stick of FMA. More courses to come. This show is produced by Martial Arts Lifestyle Magazine. Visit us at www.martialartslifestylemagazine.com and enjoy the free version of our online magazine with articles, a recommended schools page, and a worldwide events calendar. Music by Jack Al Relic. Martial Arts Lifestyle Magazine and the Martial Arts Lifestyle Podcast are trademarked and copyrighted by TNT LLC. Ah!